Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Fenago FinTalks. You're here joining us for a, a mini episode recorded live at Money 2020. Today I'm joined by Deborah Young, the founder and CEO of the RegTech Association. And we're going to be talking about the future of RegTech and how community is important to the fight against financial crime. Hi, Deborah. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, hello. How have you been and how have you been finding Money 2020 so far? Uh, look, I'm uh, really well. I uh, did make the long uh, trip up from Australia, but the conference over the last three days has been uh, really amazing. Uh, I often am running uh, my own conferences and don't get to enjoy them um, as much. So this has been really awesome, in particular, to walk around mm. and meet lots and lots of new reg techs um, that I'd not heard of previously, uh, some that I had, um, some existing members and actually getting to spend some quality time uh, with them like your, like yourself. So that has been um, really awesome. And I have been um, really impressed by some of the content uh, that I have heard as well. Um, but just really uh, great to see everybody all in uh, one place and everybody's in a great mood and happy to be back out, uh, you know, circulating again. You yeah, know, it, it is really great to be out here again. And just for any of our listeners who aren't super familiar with yourself or the Rotec Association, you could just tell, give us a quick overview of yourself and what you do. Yeah, sure. So we established the association in 2017 as a non-profit organisation um, with a simple goal to accelerate adoption of RegTech. And then our mission was actually to create a global centre of excellence. And so over the last um, five or so years, we've honed our model uh, predominantly in Australia. Uh, but over the last 12 months, uh, we have widened our mandate because most RegTechs are born global. They can solve uh, global regulatory challenges. And so we have now developed a model where we can actually take what the association does, and that's create um, a, a community between regulators, uh, regulated entities and reg techs, really get that to a strategic conversation, um, showcase the opportunity, and then take that uh, to a global scale. So over the last uh, three years, We've seen um, more than 18,000 people from 85 countries attend our digital uh, programs uh, and they can do that from the safe space of their office or their lounge room, wherever they happen to be around the world. And it's a way that we can bring RegTech to a broader um, uh, community of people. And so put simply, what we're trying to do is give everybody access to RegTech and get them to a pointy end of a conversation uh, faster and get those solutions in, into channel and working uh, to protect um, everyone. That's, that's really great to hear. Although I would be a big fan if you did a host a conference in Australia and I could expand a trip there somehow. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we just had one four weeks ago. Oh, We have to get you on the mailing list. You have to. Uh, so from your time here at Money 2020, what's your impression been of how regtechs and fintechs are reacting to increased regulatory scrutiny? So, so when we first started, uh, fintech was just this homogenous term that was used uh, to include regtech. And over the last few years, we have we have really tried to uh, separate the two out. Because if you think about it, a fintech company actually needs regtech, right? Yeah. If it's a license holder, there are consumers involved, there will be regulation and compliance. And uh, things like uh, fraud and anti-money laundering are very important. So 
so regtech, uh, they actually need regtech. Um, and we see regtech as a range of enab enabling technologies rather than a disruptor. Um, and so that's why we're careful to separate out the two. Now, I think for regtech, they actually thrive on a bit of regulatory uh, difficulty and complexity. I mean, it's after all what many of the solutions are trying to do is address those challenges both in terms of the scale of the regulations but also the complexity and how, um, you know, they can offer a, a, a platforms that can simplify, provide uh, much more transparent data with which to make better business decisions uh, to benefit shareholders, their customers, and so on and so forth. So I actually kind of think that RegTech is in a is having its moment in the sun right now because it can bring all that productivity and efficiency as well. So if institutions are trying to focus more on their customers, then having great RegTech will actually help make all of their uh, processes so much more efficient and productive and that they can deploy uh, the people to spend more time on on their uh, capacity building around their customers. Yeah, I guess it goes to show that there's always opportunity in any market and in any market environment. It just depends what you're focusing on, right? Yes, that's that's exactly right. And so one of, one of the things that I, I've noticed myself going around 2020 and just from having a lot of conversations is that there's a real um, sense of people trying to figure out how to prioritise their resources. I think um, we're, we're now existing in a market where there are more constrained resources available. Yes. So automation is becoming a not just necessarily uh, a bigger buzzword, but something that's becoming a, a real necessity for fintechs and other financial institutions to, to implement, right? Yes. And what is what is the... I mean, every regtech says they can do automation. Every regtech says that they can solve these issues. But what what do you think is the, the key thing that fintechs need to be looking out for when they're talking to these regtechs? Well, I think uh, the first the first thing is we must understand each other. We need to understand each other because we've just talked about constraints. All of us are impacted by global skills shortage right now, sure, yeah. for example. So being alive to the fact uh, that organisations, like uh, regulators, for example, uh, you know, they're suffering from the same skill shortage. They're suffering from the same cultural change that's necessary to uh, think about innovation and to be able to have an appetite for innovation. The same goes with um, institutions. These are some of the commonalities. Everybody is struggling with some of those same issues. But I think it's super important for regtechs and fintechs to actually understand um, the regulatory constraints. I think it's super important for them to understand uh, their um, institutional uh, customer base very well. But this is where the work of the association is really important because, um, you know, what we spend our days doing is trying to help all three collaborate and all three be able to understand one another more deeply. And if we can do that, if we can do that effectively, it just means that it's going to cut out a lot of time wasting. I mean, one example of, of how we help solve this for everybody um, is that all the members of the association sit on our member directory. Now, you might look at that and just say, well, that's just a, a, a link on a web page which effectively what it is. However, behind that, we put some science in it. So we build a reg tech taxonomy in there. And what that means is that when an institution is seeking a solution, 
they can go to our website and they can click on a few of the filters. So they're looking maybe for a financial crime solution, uh, perhaps, um, you know, written in the blockchain or natural language processing, whatever it is that they're looking for. They can tick on those filters and even location. So I'm looking for a company that's based in the UK, for example. So they can click on all those filters and then the options will drop down before their eyes. And so why that's actually helping. So it goes back to this accelerating adoption will only come and there are challenges, right? But if I can get all the reg techs in the world in front of the institutions at scale and faster, then I think that we are delivering part of our value proposition to accelerate adoption to get everybody to that table. But we do need to be able to understand each other. And so the regulators and the institutions can go to that directory and they are learning by going there. They're seeing, they're getting exposure to things that they didn't know existed. And that was evidence we did work with the Dutch bank earlier this week. And I'm pretty confident that after we ran the program in-house for them, that they saw five or six solutions that they possibly had not had any exposure to before. So this is all an education uh, process. Yeah, I think I think that's the key word, right? Education. Because one of the things that I've also noticed is really we can we're moving to a model of between regtex and the finance market where it's not just about having a solution and providing it, it's about working closely together to you know overcome financial crime to make sure that you're onboarding and you're doing your KYC checks effectively yes and making sure that you know you understand your customer properly across their life cycle how do you think um as as those resources are being constrained like you said across everyone yeah how do you think that's also informing the compliance strategy that uh, fintechs and other financial institutions are see are developer tech partners? Uh, well, uh, so some of the programs that we run actually help with all of that. So I'll give you an example of a bank uh, we're uh, currently working with, and um, they uh, they risk and compliance personnel from across the bank, and probably several hundred of them from different areas of the bank, and they ask me to come in and then curate some reg techs that would present to this group in over lunch and learns uh, over a period of, of a month. So there is one way that risk and compliance personnel can uh, get that education. That then can go then to inform um, strategy. And um, one of the things we don't do, we're, we're, we're not here to sell anybody anything I mean, as for Nergo, you've got salespeople, you you can do your own selling. But what I hope to be able to do for organisations like yours is put put you in front of these people. And it's almost like thought leadership, sharing your case studies. Who else are you working with? So that these people can actually see that there are some solutions out there which may drive... And, and if they can get the productivity and efficiency out of it, this may drive a whole different approach, new strategies uh, coming. But going back to the earlier point, it's collaboration, it's education, because people don't know what they don't know. And unless you're giving them a constant flow of new potential opportunities, they will bury their head and just try and focus on what they've got on their desk uh, today without mm. thinking about innovation and what that could actually deliver for them. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point, right, is that people aren't necessarily looking for a new reg tech tool every day of the week. No. They're busy in the weeds, getting their work done, making sure that they're actually, you know, meeting their regulatory obligations. Yes. So 
doing that extra bit of work, you need to you need to cover that ground somehow for them and meet them where they live, I guess. To yeah, a correct. And that, that actually links to another thing is that RegTech, um, we, we have been tracking what we call the time to value. And that is the moment from a first conversation to a full deployment. And anecdotally, when I first started uh, with the RegTech Association, it was around two years. Two years was the average sales cycle, basically. And then we've seen that come down and come down. We're now at about 9.3 months was the average last year. Um, And that's actually quite significant because we know the solutions are going in a bit faster, which in turn makes it much more attractive to investors if we can reduce that sales cycle. But why do you think the sales cycle has reduced so much? Is it because of the size of the companies that these regtechs are selling to? So is it more startups or is it that the bigger financial institutions are getting faster with their procurement for regulatory Well, uh, procurement's really, that's a really interesting one because it's still the number one uh, barrier and challenge uh, for regtech adoption is procurement. Uh, So I don't think we're there yet. But what I do think is, going back to those words again, it's education. It's the institutions much more sophisticated in their approach. They know what the options are or they've got greater accessibility through organisations like mine and other RegTech associations in the different countries and jurisdictions that are able to show them the potential uh, the potential um, organisations, RegTechs that they can work with. So I think that there's definitely a maturity now in their approach, which is helping they know where to go to get the solutions because in the old days it would have been a bit random or they just would have spoken to somebody that they knew that worked at another bank and asked them what they were using and that's probably how it happened, uh, to be honest. Uh, or they came from another organisation that had used a vendor and that you know kind of followed that person um, mm-hmm. over. But I think now there is a maturing of the industry and much more capability and through the, the work that we've been doing... Uh, uh, they're, they're better educated and they know where to look and they know where to find things. So I think that that's all helping. The issue of procurement is a big one. I don't think we're there uh, yet. Um, and I would love to see the banks band together and actually try and uh, tackle this. Is a, you know So almost like you could come up with a dual track uh, process. Or maybe it's um, maybe something the association could do in the future is, uh, you know, perhaps we could develop a standard of the first, the common 30 questions that's on every single one of those forms that you need to fill in to get into a bank, right? Why couldn't we come up with the RegTech Association standard as an example? And those 30 questions are already covered off, right? Everybody uses that template. And the only other things that you need are the things that are bespoke to that relationship. And so maybe that could go some way. That's just an idea I'm throwing out there. Somebody out there uh, wants to pick it up, please come and talk to me. Uh, But that could be a way that we break down some of those uh, challenges in getting these solutions are faster. Maybe we'll get to six months. Maybe we'll get to six months. I think people would be amazed if we ever got six yeah, months. Yeah, one, one good thing about RegTech is, right, it's a little bit slow to go in for very good reasons, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also quite slow to come out too because the bank is not going to make a, a decision on an annual basis to change the software, right? Yeah. So once you're in... You're going to be in for a while, and so if there are any investors listening to this, the great thing about RegTech is that it's sticky. Yeah, I think that's that's really true. But I, you brought some really interesting points there, and I think the key theme was collaboration, right? Like you said, you could 
uh, the ba the banks could band together to create uh, an easier process, or an association like yours could create a a checklist essentially. But again, that's that's uh, there's there's a world where both of those things happen, yeah. right? And and the, the two work well together. And I think we're seeing more and more instances of collaboration happening in industry. Whenever any regulation seems to have any effect, it's a result of you know regulators, banks, providers, and vendors all working together, and, and fintechs, of course, uh, working together to make that regulation work effectively. Yeah. And how do you think uh, all of these companies in, can you know create stronger relationships, not just amongst themselves, but also with regulators uh, during what is right now, I think, is a really uncertain time in the regulatory market. I mean, I know we said that there are, there are good and bad things to that, but I think one of the things that is um, really common at the moment is the idea of when will these things happen? Like, there's lots of conversations, but I don't know if, if new regulation is actually going to come in anytime soon. I know that there's lots of murmurings about regulation coming in, uh, but then we also have a very tough economic climate at the moment. VC money is, sorry, venture capital money is... Yes. Not on hold, but there's there's less in the market than there was back in say twenty twenty one. Yes. Um, you know, we are seeing massive cross border complications, especially with the war in Ukraine, for example, and supply chain failure has happened globally across I know everything. I mean in, in the UK alone, you know, it was very difficult to get a punnet of strawberries not so long ago. So there's a lot of problems happening in the world. That are all going to be impacting this thing. Obviously, strawberries aren't necessarily going to impact your reg tech, but it's it's indicative of how all these issues are, you know, affecting each other from very very small things to very very big things. So how how can they work together better to create a consistent way of being? So I've seen some excellent uh, work being done by regulators in how they are engaging uh, with industry. Um, there's a particular regulator in Australia um, who proactively invite people through their um, innovation hub to engage with them. In fact, there's uh, two regulators uh, that do that on a regular basis. Um, one particular regulator will meet with uh, companies one-on-one. -on -one. Um, the other one through the Innovation Hub will also meet with people. They run regular uh, quarterly engagement programs for anybody that is interested in RegTech can come to those. The regulator will, um, within reason, tell you what's uh, tell you what's going on, what, what what's in the pipeline, what initiatives they're involved in, in particular around the RegTech and the innovation space. I've also seen some really really. Um, fantastic work by a central bank, um, a European central bank, who's doing amazing work around making their own internal cultural change around ad adapting and adopting innovation and to encourage their people not to be scared of innovation. And in fact, the, uh, the central bank actually has posters around their office promoting uh, technology um, so they're really putting their money where their mouth is and they believe in it, And they, but they believe that the culture needs to change. And in order for the culture to change, they're really, you know, using simple marketing materials like posters and things like that to drive home to their employees is that innovation is really, really super important. So I am seeing that regulators are 
now really embracing this whole idea about innovation. The challenge is always going to be for them being resource constrained is, um, you know, keeping pace. So that's why organisations like mine play a critical role in us all having regular connectivity. I have regular meetings with regulators all around the world and that's just so that we're all staying on top of, you know, what we've created in our community, about 120 reg tech firms in there. So nobody has to die wondering they're there uh, and they can be informed about it um, and how they may use that themselves. And I'm talking really about reg tech and soup tech, actually. Some of our members um, do soup tech, that, that they're Sorry, informed. when you say it's soup tech? Oh, soup tech um, stands for supervisory technology. And really it's reg tech but for a supervisor or regulator's um, uh, uh, circumstance. So they talk about technology that they adopt to supervise as soup tech. It's actually all underlying reg tech. It's just uh, they, they, tend to call it, they tend to call it that. So you will hear that, soup tech, uh, people talk about that, but it's actually just reg tech for regulators, if you like. Fair enough. I see why they would want to make a distinction between the two. Yes, <laughs> that's yes, that's exactly right. But uh, you know, some of our um, some of our reg tech companies uh, will have sold their solutions yeah. to regulators, and that it's just a slightly different term, but it actually means the same same thing. Okay, fair. And just just for anyone who's unaware, uh, the reg tech association has pulled together an incredible uh, members map of all of their all their logos that that work with them, um, and which seems to be pretty much every reg tech that I think I can name off, off the top of my head. Um, so so it's, it's really impressive that you have that sort of uh, reach across the community as well. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I guess one of the things I also want to talk about is while, while we have these these uncertain times and all, all of this stuff is going on and lots of work is being done, where, where do you really see, just to go big picture for a second, where do you really see the future of regulation itself going? Well, look, I don't think there's been a session that, at Money 2020 over the last uh, couple of days that hasn't mentioned uh, generative AI. Mm. I think, um, and, and I remain uh, pretty positive about that. I think it's like all things. Nobody likes new things to begin with. And, um, and, and certainly we need to be risk aware and we need to uh, ensure a little bit more probably around the intellectual property of, of what um, some of those engines are delivering back. But I, but I do know for certain that there are regulators and there are financial institutions already testing and piloting this kind of technology um, in the future. And, um, and th there's actually a downside to some of the progress too because I can see that in some of the generative AI products, for example, that do, uh, that do digital imagery, it could actually uh, completely disrupt the graphic design industry as, as, a, as a starting point, right? So that's a little bit scary when you think about that I can just, you know, put into an engine, I want you to create me a picture of a kangaroo wearing a hat and, and it can do it. And bingo, that's my new logo. So I've just actually within a few seconds created something uh, for myself that I can use for my uh, company, my business. So the point I'm trying to make there is, it is definitely something uh, to be cautious about, but I remain pretty positive about what it could potentially do. I think one of the things that regtechs will need to be aware of is this could uh, disrupt uh, some of what's already being done out there in the community. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we'll be doing just around this whole idea of the future of regulation 
uh, we'll be doing quite a lot of work around generative AI and looking at different uh, models for that and actually having some experts come and explain and unpack it a little bit more to, until everybody gets a bit more comfortable because I, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. No, I agree. I think uh, at this stage, well, pro- to be honest, probably well before this stage, AI was far too big to go anywhere. Too many billions, if not trillions of dollars have been invested over the past few decades. I think one thing to always remember as well is that Generative AI is relatively new, yes. but AI itself has existed for a very long time, yes, right? Yes, indeed. And um, that, which means that the technology was always moving in a particular direction. Now, at the moment, everyone is very much focused on generative AI, and it might be seen as the only form of AI for a while. Yes, um, which is possibly a loss to the AI industry. But yeah, it's it's not going anywhere. Finding a way to work with it is is most important. Uh, I'll, I'll leave issues of art and AI to the side because uh, I think at the moment there is there is no copyright as ascribed to any AI uh, outputs, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you're right. Like working together with AI, finding AI solutions to regulatory issues is also like a really going to be a really key driver for the future. And you know, many companies are working on it already. Yeah, and I mean, just you know, one one really important point is is that for regulators. Um, and, and, and we heard this at a, at a recent uh, conference that I held where it was suggested that regulators need to develop skills beyond policy. So they really need to have strong innovation uh, units and technology and technology units, which I'm sure they are all uh, developing mm-hmm. now. Um, but it's about elevating all those conversations into the boardroom, people getting really, really comfortable to talk about uh, reg tech. I mean, I, I, I'm here for reg tech, right? But to get board directors and everybody really comfortable with talking about uh, reg tech and understanding that this isn't just, and I'm doing this in inverted commas, IT problem. This is an IT problem. This is not an IT problem. This is productivity, efficiency, consumer safety, and all kinds of things. And what drives me and gets me out of bed every day is that these solutions getting into channel as quickly as possible are protecting your mum and dad and my mum and dad, actually, yeah. so that they can operate in in uh, trust in all their interactions. And final point, RegTech's not just for financial services. It can be used in the energy sector and the telco sector and agriculture and government has emerged. In fact, government is very exciting. That could be the next big uh, industry vertical for reg tech because government is screaming out at the moment for things like digital identity. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's lots of scope for our reg techs to actually look beyond financial services and how they might apply their solutions actually to other verticals because they're all regulated. They all have compliance issues and challenges. And so reg tech can actually, you know, go from sector to sector. Yeah, uh, I think digital identity, for example, is is a great is a great topic for that because I know the UK government has been working on it for a while, uh, but at the same time, you know, this is this is these are problems that are incredibly huge, and I think they they demand reliance. Well, they demand collaboration between uh, the public and the private, right? Because no government is ever going to build that whole solution out itself. Uh, they're going to have to rely on, on private industry. But equally, no private industry is going to build this out on its own because they need it to be enforced by the government, right? Yeah. Um, and I know I know some big companies have taken a swing in it in the past and been unsuccessful because they didn't have the other side that they needed. 
But yeah, we, we are moving that direction. We might see that in the future. Yeah. And and to go to your point about um, having compliance at the board level, at the top level, I remember a few years ago there was a lot of discussion about how we had to have top-down compliance, how MLROs needed to be in the boardroom, you know, essentially like be someone who is on the C-suite, be you know driving that compliance demand from the very top of the company all the way through to the bottom because what was happening was you had lots of compliance officers frontline you know first line of defense operators who were feeling like they were you know saw filing into the void yes and that like their their concerns weren't being taken seriously and there have been some scandals uh, in the past few years that did kind of reflect that to a degree yeah and we've seen significant change and i think to be fair to to the industry as a whole, we are seeing a progression in that in that direction, right? Yes. Uh, maybe not where we want it to be just yet, but it's I think it's definitely happening. It's kind of like doing a transition from the back office to the front office. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Where all of a sudden, you know, we say that regulation compliance is actually sexy, right? Yeah. Uh, because if we these solutions make it sexy, because what this is doing is freeing up the resources to be able to focus on customers and being innovative and engaging and delivering um, to customers. So I kind of think it's come out of the shadows uh, quite a lot. And, um, you know, I'm encouraged to see, you know, lots of chief data officer, you know, roles now um, on the, on the, at, at, at the executive level, which is very exciting because, you know, uh, Many years ago, a bank was a branch that you went to with your passbook or your plastic card and you pulled your money out. Um, banks now are huge data warehouses, right? Mm. Lots and lots of information flowing around that can be used to better serve customers. Um, but harnessing the data, keeping the data safe is all part of the benefit of great, uh, of great reg tech. And so I'm encouraged by, um, you know, what I'm what I'm seeing and how, you know, teams at a very senior level are developing out and data has become such an important um, part of every every business as well as people, you know, people yeah. and data and culture. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But to, to move on from that just a little bit, uh, one, of, one of the things that I've always found interesting about regulatory environment full stop is... The complete lack of regulatory harmonization across you know so for example in australia regulators will be one way and then in i don't know france it'll be a completely different way and there is there are efforts to to create regulatory harmonization across maybe, maybe not that sort of distance but at least across the eu um and probably you know with uh, various other territories that certain countries are close to right yeah there there is that need to create like fintech bridges and regulatory regulatory harmonization there but before that can even be done, we need to have a consistent and common regulatory language in place. I know this is something that's quite near and dear to your heart. Yeah. So I was wondering if you tell me a bit about what you think that looks like and what you would like to see. Uh, yeah, that, so that's really interesting. So, yes, interoperability we do not have. And uh, just echoing your comments there, certainly... Um, you know, we are seeing initiatives like the Global Financial Innovation Network, which I think is between maybe 60 or 70 uh, regulators from around the world who collaborate. And there is a RegTech uh, work stream uh, in that group. So they are looking at how they can more closely uh, collaborate um, around that. 
Um, yes, having a language and a taxonomy. So I'll give you the example of our association. So when we created the association, we obviously had lots of different companies joining, but we, we didn't have any form of categorization of, of, so it was just a big mishmash. It's a bit like going into a conference expo, right? And you look at all the, the color and movement of all the expo booths, but nobody's worked that out for you in your head. Uh, about how to categorize that, what's right for you in your problems, how do you prioritize how you're going to, uh, you know, approach uh, the vendors. So for us to build our taxonomy was really one of the first things that we did. And it was very important because what it did was it gave us a language. It has effectively given us a global reg tech language. And it's given people some frames to think about risk areas, uh, the functional purpose of, you know, what the technology does, what the technology delivers, what kind of technology it is built on, like what, what kind of technology it's using. And so what this effectively did was give us a global language. And so for regulators, uh, in terms of how they might approach this on a global scale, they could do something as simple as, as, simple as that. Um, and there and there are pockets of work being done by regulators to try and address this, but yeah, we've talked about they're resource poor, yeah. uh, they're constrained, and so they spend a lot of time just trying to um, oversee what it is that they're charged to oversee. Then it's a whole other universe to try and then work with all of the other regulators around the world. So it's actually a, a tough one, but there's no doubt that if if we could reach global regulatory language that would be the nirvana that would be the nirvana state we've done it uh for the vendor side um i'm not aware that it exists uh for global regulators but perhaps somebody can shoot me through the information if it if it does exist um but it can it it can be done i mean we did it we did it here we can be done and, and now it's just part of our normal language all of our programs are actually done according to our taxonomy as well so we do it all in areas of risk which means yeah. that it's relevant to the audience right so i'm coming to see financial crime yeah. because i'm interested in financial crime and i'm in the market to buy a solution and are you finding that with the taxonomy that you've put in place that it's being picked up by your client base and by the director well it's almost uh, transparent it's almost transparent to people so when a reg tech actually completes our application form for membership, they're actually completing the taxonomy as they're answering the questions. Right. So it's actually kind of really advanced, really, when you think about it. It's actually the checkboxes they're filling, they're actually populating the taxonomy. And then on the flip side, the, the uh, bank doesn't realise that, but in going there, uh, they can they can just flick on the things and then that's effectively what the reg tech has, has completed. So it's actually being delivered to them in what they can understand along their areas of risk that they recognise. Um, and it's all in pretty layman's kind of language. We tried to keep it really simple um, because there's no point in bamboozling people with uh, technology, technology or tech science or data science terms on there if that's not helping a compliance person find what it is that they need. So it's kind of a little bit transparent to people, to be honest, about what the taxonomy is, but it is there and it and it operates daily and it's delivering our results uh, to people. That's great. It's really it's really um, heartening to hear that uh, 
harmonization efforts are underway. Yes. I, I always knew they were underway, but I mean that they're getting pick up and that there's there's real um, steam being being put into these things. Yeah. So usually uh, I end these conversations with a with a discussion about AI, but we've already gone through AI. So um, I wanted to ask you about something that the Rater Association recently uncovered in a report that you put out. Yeah. Which is that bootstrapping for Rectic founders has been trending downwards ever since 2019. And I think it went uh, from 70% in 2019 to 60% in 2021, because 2020 was a gimme year. Yeah. And then uh, now 50% of, of Rectic founders are bootstrapping in 2022. And by, by all accounts, it'll be going down even more in 2023. Um what impact do you think having access to VC money makes on the development of fintechs, regtechs, and where the industry is going as a whole? Because on the one hand, there are lots of benefits to bootstrapping, but on the other, you know, when you have all that VC, if you have 30 million or 50 million or whatever, many million it, you want it to be of uh, VC dollars behind you, that's incredible, right? That's a huge runway that you have to then develop a tool. Yeah, yeah. So starting um, actually from the from the point of bootstrapping and why was there such a huge number that were bootstrapped to begin with, what's really quite unique about uh, regtech founders is that no regtech person left university and said on the first day out, I'm going to start a regtech company, said no one ever, right? Yeah, no Zuckerbergs. No, everybody worked in industry. They either worked for a regulator they worked for maybe one of the large consulting houses. They worked in a bank, a law firm, saw the greatest challenges in the clients um, or just uh, the challenges they were living every day. Then probably at aged 40 or 45, decided to found a reg tech firm to address the challenges that they um, lived and experienced. And so what this meant in terms of funding they started their companies. They already had some assets. They probably, you know, owned their home. Uh, more established individuals is what I'm saying, so not kids. Um, so they were already established. And so they had probably a little bit of a, a, a personal balance sheet and they were able to back themselves probably with some family and friends and, um, and, and got themselves underway. And the other thing is because they had friends and colleagues and contacts in the industry were probably able to get their first couple of customers as well, which actually helped them in the early stages. So even though they were self-funded, they got a few customers and they were ticking along. But the problem was always going to be, um, I used to work in VC and, uh, and PE, private equity and venture capital. Um, the problem was always going to be that in order to get to scale, and remember we started this in Australia, so many of the companies were Australian companies. Mm -hmm. Australia does not have the scale. We have uh, four main financial institutions and a whole range of second tiers. But actually, the biggest market for Australian reg techs is always going to be um, offshore. Mm. And so you can't scale and grow if you're, you know, risking your, your house and uh, spending all your and burning up all of your cash. And also taking just individual angel investors it, it is hard as well, it's very time-consuming uh, to do that, um, and so there was always uh, professional capital needed to play a role. But five years ago, as I've already said, it was a five-year, it was a, sorry, a two-year sales cycle. 
right? Yes. So that was not attractive to VC. But as we've brought down that sales cycle, it's become more attractive. And the education, going back to that word again, the education has improved. So investors come to me. Here's the typical question from an investor. Who are your top 10, Deborah? I say I don't back horses. I don't back horses. Um, They're all through my directory. Uh, We also run programs for investors so that they can come in and have a a look at uh, some companies. But I don't put forward a preferred, uh, I don't put forward a preferred list. If they want to bring me a list, I can tell them what I know about all those um, companies and I'm happy to do that. Um, But so going back to the appetite has become greater because the industry has matured. Um, The sales cycle has come down, making it more attractive uh, for investors to come in. There's greater clarity and visibility over what RegTech is and what it can do now as the industry has matured which has made it more attractive. What is going to happen in the future remains to be seen. I think, you know, uh, we, we, the economies around the world are being squeezed and where the money was flowing quite freely, I mean, frankly, the world has now got to pay for the pandemic and, sure. and the yeah. impacts of the pandemic. And investors, you know, won't be, uh, they won't be annexed off from that. They will be constrained um, as well. And so I think it's going to be very interesting. But I do think that RegTech is going to remain at the top of the tree because if you can think about the role that RegTech uh, can play, going back to the point about government buying RegTech to do their digital identity, um, be able to get resources to citizens quickly in the time of a pandemic could have been fast-tracked if some of them had had better processes around that so I think um, investors have seen uh, the traction that RegTech has had and, and and the potential for what it can do in the future so I think we'll still remain uh, maybe top five maybe top five of things that they're interested in anecdotally uh, investors have told me that they're uh, probably scaling back on some other things but looking very positively at RegTech still so that there's there's hope I guess it goes back to what you were saying earlier about RegTech being quite sticky, you know, and and also it's 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 that this this is something that you need to operate. So if you have got a fintech, you have to have your RegTech solution in place because otherwise you're not going to be able to you know offer the great payment service or the great um, crypto service or the great digital banking service that Correct. you want to, right? You need you need to be compliant. You need to you need to get your license. Absolutely, and and if you think about it like that, in that fintech context that you just mentioned, the regulator knows well about all the solutions that are available. So you better have a good solution in place because they've been informing themselves and educating themselves about the solutions in the market, and they're doing that for a reason, right? If they have to come down on you, they're going to want to know, you know, what what solutions were you using? Was that a problem with the solution, or was it something? something else. So regulators have got to keep their eyes and ears open to all of that um, stuff. Well, I guess there's an element there of you could have the best solution in the world, for now. Uh, <laughs> and it, that, it wouldn't necessarily mean anything if you don't have the right uh, approach in place, right? Correct. It's it's not like uh, there's there's no magic bullet. There's no, there's no uh, single solution. It's you put this technology in place, 
and then you have the policy in your risk-based approach in place as well so that you can meet your uh, requirements on a, on a daily basis it's it's I, I would i wouldn't want anyone to ever think that regtech is uh, a way to to look away from compliance it's it's only ever going to be a way to do what you're already doing but far better oh yes yeah. Yes, it's enabler. Exactly, an enabler. yeah, exactly. Like you said, to go back to the very start, right? This is RegTech as an enabler, not a disruptor. Well, that is a very good place for us to conclude, isn't it? It is a fantastic place for us to conclude. Thank you so much for joining me, Deborah. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. If, if our listeners are trying to look for you or learn more about you or get in touch with you, where can they find you? So uh, please do reach out to me personally on LinkedIn, but our web URL is www.regtechglobal.com org fantastic thank you for listening to this episode of finogo fintalks recorded live at money 2020 in amsterdam i'm damna sigadu and i've been joined by deborah young ceo and founder of the regtech association make sure to subscribe to the show it's available wherever you choose to get your podcasts and you can always find us at finogo.com 